Revelation uh, chapter 2. That's where we are. If you have your Bibles, you want to open them there. If you don't, you want to use one of the ones that we have under the seats. That's on page 884. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, thank you to everybody who showed up. We had a work day yesterday. So much got done. Um, So we're we're real excited. We're real grateful. Thank you for doing that. it was, it's good to be back with you. We were in Illinois last weekend, um, and uh, we got to love on our kids, stimulate the greater Chicago economy, and eat some artery-clogging food. But it is always good to be back. I want to thank Ryan uh, for doing a, a great job of bringing God's word in my absence. I appreciate that. Thank you, bud. Um, I want to thank you guys for, like, yes, uh, last week, for all the like appreciation texts, my phone was <laughs> blowing up. Um, I don't, we're in this rental car and we're headed to lunch after church and it is just like shaking and blowing up. I got, you know, it was like close to 30 in the span of like a minute. Um, so um, pretty overwhelming in the videos and the daily letters and uh, the flowers from my wife and the cards and... Um, it just moves me. Um, I give all the glory to God. I'm, I'm grateful. Um, but the encouragement means so much. And you need to know that, um, that I love you. And it's my honor to serve you well. I want to. And, and bring God's word to you. Okay. Enough of the mushy stuff. Here we go. Um, show of hands. Show of hands. Anybody watch uh, Desperate Housewives? Of course not. You're in church. Come on. Really? Well, I haven't either. My wife told me about it. Um, But this season starts off, you know, um, you all know, Gabby uh, had had an abusive father was stalking her and um, he was killed and and she killed him and, and, and her friends tried to cover it up. So the beginning of this season, that was the end of last season, they get this anonymous note, right, that says... I know what you did, it makes me sick, I'm going to tell. And, and it's driving everybody crazy on the show. Um, and the question for us, what would that thing be for you? Because there was a specific, what would that thing be for you that you wouldn't want everybody to know or somebody saw you do? Well, the reason I bring that up is that the scripture that we're gonna look at today is kind of like that letter um, to the church in Thyatira. Now, uh, we'll read through the text. Um, then we're going to work through it and then see what Jesus has to see in us. So strap yourself in. Here we go. We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 2. And this is Jesus dictating to, through John. And to, the church, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write... The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time 
to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Let's get that. That's a key. That's a key verse we'll be keying into. All the churches, including this one in Gunnison, will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. He's coming. He's coming. Hold on. Okay. Um, the letter goes on, as you'll see, uh, another couple of verses, but that is what we're going to work on next week. And, and it, is, it is so awesome. It is what you're going to be doing for all eternity. Um, so don't miss that. But um, we, have enough to, we have enough to say grace over this week. So um, let's start with verse 18. Let's go back to the beginning. If you remember, um, if you've been with us or if you've been following the podcast, um, in the beginning, uh, in chapter one, Jesus had this description of himself, right? Uh, uh, John provides this vision of Christ. Now, as Christ dictates these letters to the churches, he'll pull out things from that that correspond to elements of his character that this particular church needs to remember, needs to particularly focus on. Okay, so as you go, you'll see to each church, he'll pull out certain elements of his appearance that, that symbolize things that they're missing, that they got to remember. And so here he says in verse 18, and to the church, angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the son of God, I am the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and to whose feet and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Okay, so right from the opening pitch, Jesus is going to remind them that he has eyes, he's the son of God, and he has eyes like the flame of fire. And that is to say, that it feels a little loud. Does it seem a little loud to you? I'm not even yelling. I'm gonna yell later, and it seems a little loud. So you know, look at that. Um, okay, he's reminding them that he sees everything. His eyes are much sharper than that creepy machine they have. And I just went through it on my way to Chicago that they see you naked and the, and the Homeland Security to make sure you're not putting plastic explosives in your underwear, right? He can see through. He sees everything. If you remember anything from this message, Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees everything. When you think you're alone, you're not. When you think you have privacy, you don't. When you think that you've been hiding, you can't. And that will either give us conviction, you know, feel guilty about that, or it gives us great comfort depending upon where your heart is. But either way, there's comfort. There's, there's good news for you. The thing is that there are things in this church in Thyatira that they have been hiding, that they would not prefer that it gets brought up. But Jesus is going to bring them out out these things, out these people, bring them into the light. 
Um, and he's going to raise some issues that we don't usually talk about in church. And we wouldn't discuss with a nun or our mother. So he's not keeping these subjects off limits. So we don't either. And we're going to take a look at it. Um, so Jesus sees everything. Got that? That's, that's the title today. Jesus sees everything. And that can either make us feel busted or make us feel incredibly comforted, depending upon where our hearts are. And there's good news for both. There's good news for both. Okay. He not only says he has eyes like a flame of fire, Jesus says he has feet like burnished bronze. These are, this is the warrior, just warrior Jesus. These are the feet that are going to kick the butt of and stomp out all evil, all sin, all rebellion, all uh, abuse, all crime, all war, all poverty, all hatred, all disease, all sin, which is like, yeah, do it. And that's great news. And he will do it. And that is great news. Unless, of course, some of that sin is inside of you and me. And then it gets kind of scary. But he knows. And there is good news because he has made provision for that through his mercy. He is going to make it right. And we can fool lots of people. You can fool your parents. You can fool your classmates. You can fool your wife. You can fool your husband. You can fool your pastor. Pastor can fool you, but none of us can fool Jesus. And Jesus, because he looks and he sees the heart, the heart. And um, what we have here in the church in Thyatira is a, Thyatira is a, is a mixed bag. Okay, we have a mixed bag of people, wide range. Some of them um, are, are living in a way that pleases Jesus and some of them look like they are, but they're not, but they're not. So let's go and let's take a closer look. There's also a lot of good stuff in this church, a lot of good stuff. Verse 19, Jesus always starts with the good stuff. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. This church has some people who have it going on. They are loving Jesus. They are loving each other. They are serving. They, they want to they change their culture. They want to bless people. They're bringing people to Jesus. They, you know, it's a beautiful thing. They're renewing their community. They're doing the work that he set out to do. And they're not giving up. They're ramping up right? They're not getting tired. They just keep getting more and more committed, more and more fired up. But that's not all the people there. That's not all the people there. They have some people who are living one reality um, when people are watching on Sunday mornings, and they are living a totally different reality all the rest of the time. And, and Jesus sees it, and he's going to call them out. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 20. Here it gets pretty serious. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she is teaching and seducing my servants. That means true believers, true followers. She is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, in the middle of this church that has so many good things going on, we have a 
huge problem. We have a couple of huge problems. Get, things are getting sexually out of hand or in hand, as the case may be. Jesus sees things that are making him sick, and he's going to call them out. Um, there are people who call themselves his followers, um, and he's not going to pull any punches. Jesus is, in a sense, sending that letter. I, say, I saw what you did. It's making me sick. And yeah, I just told everybody. So, so Jesus is calling them out because he, because he loves because he loves, not so that he can condemn, so that they can repent, so that they can return, and so he can restore them. You need, we need to see that. Let's, so we're talking, we're talking about sex, okay? Um, at least in part, but let's get this on the record. Let's get this out there. Sex is not bad. Jesus is a fan of sex the way that he created it to be. Jesus is a fan of sex the way he created it to be. After all, he invented it. He created it to be a wonderful thing, a beautiful thing. Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, right? Now he's dead, which you know, unless you've been in a coma for the last two weeks. Um, but if Steve Jobs were alive and you had a conversation with him, you might ask him the question, when you invented the iPhone, did you plan on it being used to run drug cartels or network pedophiles? Um, did you create it to download porn into the hands of boys and men 24-7? Did you make it so that working people would become unproductive because they'd rather play Angry Birds all day long? Did you create it to drive wedges in between husbands and wives and families and children and friends because people were too busy texting and surfing Facebook? He might say, no. No, that's not why. The iPhone is a wonderful thing. That's not why I invented it. And Jesus might say the same thing. If you asked him about sex, Jesus, did you create sex to dominate our culture, to give us brief moments of ecstasy followed by long-term soul-deadening pain and guilt and shame? Did you create it to devalue us by us giving ourselves in the most intimate ways to different people that we would eventually dispose of? Did you give it to us to break apart families and marriages and, and make uh, a narrowly Madison Avenue-defined concept of sex appeal be the defining aspiration of our culture and the definition of our self-worth? He would say, no, no. Sex is a wonderful thing, and... That's not why I created it. So um, let's look, let's take a very close look at Jezebel. Um, according to the text, we would be the first ones to do that. Um, <clears throat> does anybody, does it strike anybody as odd with the popularity of naming, giving our kids biblical names that the name Jezebel has never caught on for young girls? <laughs> Did you think about it? Yeah, well... <laughs> Maybe the reason it's not so popular 
It's because she's a whore. Um, and uh, here's, here's the thing. Worse than that, she calls herself what? Who said a hottie? Was that you? A prophetess. A prophetess. And yet, she is doing and leading and in, in influencing people to, to be sexually immoral. Now, um, she is using the label of Christ follower and um, she's living a life that is completely the opposite. Now, that hits a little closer to home. That hits a little closer to home. That's why you see embarrassing things on the national news where pastors and leaders, um, like Ted Haggard, great um, leader of the church, gets um, caught doing meth and, and uh, using a male prostitute. And those of you who are older remember Jimmy Swagger um, and Jim Baker and some of the leaders of the religious right. Um, what happens here, we have a head that knows about Jesus and a heart that is not fully transformed or fully surrendered to him. A head that knows about him, a heart that is not fully transformed and fully surrendered to him. That's the disconnect. That's the disconnect. Did Jezebel not know about Jesus? She's calling herself and has the reputation of being a Christ follower, a prophetess, one that God speaks through. And yet she's living a life that's completely different. Driving this a little closer to home, we have a lot of college students here, and I'm grateful for that. I love you guys. Um, because we have a lot of people in that age group, um, I get to ask, I get asked to do uh, a lot of weddings. Um, and here's a tip. Um, if you ask me, don't ask me to do your wedding unless during the premarital counseling you want me to ask you the question, are you already sleeping together? Because I'll do it. I will do it. Um, why is that important? Um, because, in a sense, then, what you're asking me to do is ask God's blessing upon your marriage relationship when you've already decided not to follow him in your dating relationship. And so, if that's the case, um, you're, not, you're not rejected. Um, you just have to come face-to-face with the way God called you to lead you into freedom and life and joy in the way that you've chosen to find freedom and life and joy. And when those things are different, um, you come and, and you say, Jesus, I haven't followed your plan, but your plan is for my good and you're my God and I want to do that. So, so that's what it's about. Um, again, Heads that know about Jesus, hearts that are not fully transformed, fully surrendered to him. Um, and not what we have to get to, not only with sex, but with everything, is that everything can be forgiven. That Jesus is here offering forgiveness, freedom, new life. Um, but here is how it usually plays out. Here's how it usually plays out in guys' minds and girls' minds. I have blown it. I feel awful. Um, for whatever reason, uh, I've lost my virginity. Um, and now um, I am what I am. 
And so I blew it. I, I might as well just go ahead. Let's, let's, let's keep going. And that happens in this current relationship. And if that one ends, then that continues. Um, and that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the beauty and depth of Jesus' forgiveness. If you are repentant and forgiven by Jesus, then you are in his eyes a virgin. <laughs> Complete. That is why Jesus came for you. That is why Jesus lived the perfect life for you. So you could credit that to you. That is why Jesus went to the cross for you. That is why Jesus took that sin and all our sin, no matter what it is, known and unknown, seen and unseen, to the cross, paid the penalty for it for you as our substitute in our place. And that is why he died for you. That is why he rose for you. So that you and I could be completely forgiven, have our sins washed away. And then as Ephesians uh, 5.26 says, washing us with water, with the word, he, he washes us clean of all guilt, of all shame, of all iniquity. You're washed clean. You are started again. He specializes in making all things new. So is there a fresh start for everybody, regardless of how much, how often, how? Yes, that's the good news. It's not that you are your past. In him, you are this promise that is the gospel. You are made new. You are made new. So let's just, while we're on the subject, because the culture will send you message after message, contrary to this, let's cover this really quick so there's no confusion. God's word is crystal clear that sex other than between a man and a woman to whom you are currently married is sin, breaks his heart, and uses, uses his iPhone for that which he did not create it for. And he's trying to lead us into life. And you say, oh, come on, Tom. This is 2011. You are so old school. No, I'm Jesus school. If that makes me old school, I'll take it. I'll take it. So you're saying all non-virgins are going to hell? No. No, there's two kinds of people. And it's not virgins and non-virgins. It's not the sexually immoral and the sexually pure. It's the people who've been forgiven and those who don't want to be or don't think they have a need to be or think they're too far gone to be. Those are the differences. Those are the differences in everything. But if you make the U-turn, which is repentance, and seek his mercy, that's what you get. You get made new again and again and again. But if you don't, you may believe you're following Jesus, but you're not. Bottom line, and we'll move on. You can't be a rebel against Jesus and follow him at the same time. Can't be a rebel against Jesus and follow him at the same time. Luke 6, 46, Jesus talks about these people. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jezebel was doing that. 
Jesus sees everything. You can't claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus and ignore what he says about how he created you to do life and find joy. If you do, then you are your own God. And though you might name Jesus, he is Lord in title only. And you're your own, you're your own boss. You're your own, um, you're your own God. You're going to find the way to find freedom, find joy, and find the way that the universe works even though he says that's not how it goes. Now look around. Half of us can't even pick out matching outfits, right? You're going to figure out how life works with your limited experience, with my limited? No, that doesn't work. He sees what's ahead. He sees destruction. He sees judgment. He's trying to protect you from yourself, from myself, from himself, from his justice. And he's asking us to walk in his blessing. But some of us know better, right? Right? It sounds simple. Jesus sees everything, right? Say it with me. Jesus sees everything. Say it again. Jesus sees everything. I just have to find out if you guys have a pulse. Come on. Now that sounds simple, right? That sounds simple. And, and probably 90% of culture, probably Nearly 100% of, of people who are, who are churchgoers would agree to that. But I don't know that we really believe it. Because if we really believe Jesus sees everything, there's no way we could do some of the stupid things that we do. If your mom was there watching all the time, how would you live your life? You would be on your best behavior, right? It, any recovering Catholics out there like me? Any? If a nun was there all the time watching, how would you live your life? You'd be on your best behavior. My mom is a nun. So when she's around, I got the whole thing. Jesus is around. He's here. He sees everything. He's in the room. If you're a believer, he's inside you. Let's live like it. Let's live like it. Okay, look back at verse 20. The problem with Jezebel is not only sexual immorality, it's eating food sacrificed to idols. You say, wait a minute, that's probably not a problem for me. This is huge, huge in our culture. It actually um, is a big fancy word called syncretism. Syncretism has the same root um, as um, the band InSync or Olympic synchronized swimming, so you know it's a bad thing, right? Um, what it means is that you are bringing together things that don't belong together. You are syncing up that which does not go. You are cutting and pasting different faith from different belief systems. When you come across something in Scripture, in God's Word, that doesn't fit with your preferences, well, then forget about that. You just borrow from another belief system, right? That's called syncretism. And it is huge, huge. Food sacrifice to idols. What is the belief system we often borrow from? The American culture. The American culture. Now, whether we're talking about sex, materialism, racism, hate, unforgiveness, work, greed, you name it, we can borrow belief systems and paste them into the parts of the gospel, the parts of scripture that we like, and we create our own faith. Well, that's how I believe. 
I don't believe. That's not how I was raised. That's not how. This is it. This is it. Does it square with the word of God? Does it square with the heart of God? Because all of his commands are to, because he loves us. He's leading us into light and life and freedom and joy. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Look at how it's turning out, right? We have advanced tremendously in technology, in medicine, in transportation, in terms of godly living, in terms of loving each other, in terms of pleasing God. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Verse 21, verse 21 Here's the good news. He loves us anyway, but um, things are going to get pretty serious here. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Why did Jesus give Jezebel time to repent? Because with all the garbage, with all her wrong thinking, with all the syncretism, with all the sexual immorality, he loves her anyway. And although Jesus is just, Jesus loves mercy. Jesus loves mercy, and he gives her time to repent. But Jezebel interprets, as many of us do, Jesus' merciful patience with Jesus' permission. Do you get it? Here's what it is. Because Jesus has not yet punished you for that thing in your life that you know breaks his heart, because Jesus has not yet punished you for that thing in your life that, that you do that breaks his heart, you interpret that as his permission. And you think that regardless of that, you and Jesus are like this, and you have this special relationship. It is this relationship with him where he is your God, but he allows you to call your own shots to ignore the guardrails that he set up to protect you and lead you into life and freedom and joy. Um, and regardless of this, you are like this with Jesus. Ignoring the fact that this type of relationship is shown absolutely nowhere in Scripture as defining a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus sees everything. He is just and will judge everything, but don't miss this or you will miss the gospel because of his great love for you. Jesus prefers to have mercy. If you watch a lot of um, Law and Order, a lot of CSI, you see a lot of courtroom dramas, then you know that whenever a criminal comes up on charges, they have a choice. They have a choice. They can either plead their case or they can plead guilty, right? You and I, all of us, are busted. We are guilty. And we stand before just, righteous, holy judge Jesus, and we have a choice to make. We can plead our case as convincingly and persuasively and justifying everything we think it's saying do. We can do that and make the best closing argument we could possibly make. But in the end, the Bible says every one of us will be rejected, denied, and, and declared guilty and, and receive the punishment of death, not only physical death, but eternal death. Or, here's my advice, 
plead guilty. Plead guilty. Why? Because Jesus, the just judge with the bronze feet and the blazing eyes, loves you and loves to have mercy. He is loving to have mercy. When we plead guilty, he says, you know what? I agree, but I also agree that I paid the price on the cross for your guilt, for your shame, and because of that, I am setting you free, I am giving you life, and I am washing you clean, I am giving you my record, go and walk with me in freedom. That's the choice. That's the choice everyone will make, that's a choice Jezebel made wrong, and that's a choice we need to make right. That is called, pleading guilty is called repentance. And if you are not a habitual repenter, then you're not a follower of Jesus either. And I'm talking to the church folks because what we, what we do is we say there was a day when I received Christ and I got washed clean and I got, is all that true? Yes. Have you continued to some degree in sin like me? Absolutely. What do we got to continue to do? Continue to come home. Continue to get washed clean. Continue to be renewed. Continue to be forgiven. Continue to, he has saved us. He is saving us. He will save us. Be a habitual repenter. Okay, we're going to wind it down 22 and 23. Here we go. Here's what happens to those who don't plead guilty. It is not pretty. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And get this, and all the churches, including this one in Gunnison, will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Did you see that? It is not primarily a problem with sex. It is not at the root a problem with syncretism. It is what? It's a heart problem. Her behavior, their lifestyle, it's wrong because her heart is wrong. Their hearts are wrong. The things that we do the things that you and I think, the things that you and I say, the way that we do life is wrong because our hearts are wrong. Which is why the scripture, and we will always go to the heart. You get the heart right, then the words and the actions are gonna be right. You get the actions right, and the heart may, may still be dark and, and, and damaged. You see that? It's our hearts that are the problem. Jesus sees what's underneath the facade, underneath the masks, underneath what I wish and you wish that I thought of you or the people sitting next to you thought of you. Jesus sees deep down. Men, guys, here is proof that you need, if this is true of you, a transformation of our heart. Almost as if on autopilot, your eyes don't look at women they check them out. You know what I'm talking about. Wordlessly, almost willlessly, seeing a woman, young, old, doesn't matter. 
engaging her according to how she'd be as a potential sexual partner. You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter if you're married, doesn't matter if you're old, doesn't matter if you're young. That's a heart issue. We need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Jesus sees everything. We've done a lot of the convicting stuff, right? Jesus sees everything. But it can also be enormously comforting. Enormously comforting. He sees your suffering and your struggling too. He sees it. He sees it. Verse 24, the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. I see you. I see what you're going through and I'm coming. I am watching over you. I see you. Hold on. I'm coming to rescue you. Jesus is not a power-hungry cop that is waiting and watching to see you screw up so that he can beat you down. He took the beat down for you on the cross. That is his, his M.O. He loves you. He loves you so much that if you really got a hold of that, it would change everything in your life. You would have joy that you don't even know. You would have peace that you can't imagine. All of us need to grow in that realization. It will take us eternity to grasp it, which is exactly why he gives us that. Growing in knowledge of the love of Jesus has for you that is undeserved. Check this out. Uh, this is, uh, if you don't know this scripture, it's a, it's a great one. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. For the, here's what he sees. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? So he can see you screwing up so he can beat you down? No. To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Show strong support to those whose heart is Another translation says to show himself strong on behalf of those. That's what he's looking for. He is watching over you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to, because Jesus is seeing everything, he is watching over you. You know the words to the old hymn. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Do you think there's no one who knows what you're going through? No one who sees. No one who hears. You're wrong. Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees you. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows things about you you don't even know. He knows your inward parts. He knows where you came from. He knows where you're going. And he wants to woo us into that place where we say, you're in control. You're control of the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I want to release myself, surrender myself to your control. Because my control is not getting me where I thought it would. And he knows the way to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. To where he created you to be. Not the way things have always been. Not the way you say you've always been. A new life, a new path, a new reality, a new life. Jesus sees your fear. Jesus sees your secret struggles. Jesus sees your private pain. That's enormously comforting. If you've lost your way, you can't find it. You're drifting in confusion. You want to know Jesus. You want to see him. You need to see him. Take comfort. He sees you.
He sees you. Jesus sees the way out for you. But so often, see if this isn't true about you. We have this conflicted heart. We have this conflicted heart. We want a God who will never leave us or forsake us. But at other times, we want a God who will leave us alone. In a sense, we're asking him to love us less. And he can't. He can't. Jesus sees everything. Jesus sees everything. That can fill us with guilt and condemnate a sense of conviction or it can fill us with great comfort. Either way, there's good news. Either way, it reminds us that all of us, me included, are broken and in desperate need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus sees everything. And one of the things he loves to see is us coming home. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. We sang it. Luke 15, 20. The end of the story of the prodigal son. And the son arose and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, what? Saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Whether you feel conviction or comfort, that is what is waiting for you, what is holding you back from running to his arms. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. You are good. You see everything. And most of us, if we're honest, we're a mix of um, convicted and comforted by that. But in everything, um, it convinces us that we are in desperate need of, of a Savior. Lord, we don't want to play games with you going by a, a title, going by a reputation um, when you see our hearts. On the outside, we might look really well put together. We may look faithful, but you see our hearts and, and you invite us to come home. You've given us time. Some of us have, um, have mistaken your patience for your permission. Some of us have, have been immoral. Some of us have broken your heart and, and, and adapted to other belief systems. Lord, whatever it is, um, there is comfort and forgiveness and new life only in you. And you offer it to all of us. This is our chance to plead guilty so that we can receive mercy. I pray that we'll do that in Jesus' name.